Hello, boys and girls. This is Steve Tripp coming to you live from the Top Strength Project, and this is the Top Strength Cast, a grit original. I am here to denounce the limitless bullshit surrounding the industry by sharing my own personal experiences and insights in an attempt to offer a more direct, sensible, and authentic approach to becoming the best version of ourselves. Other experts at the top of their fields will be joining me to cover training for and competing in strength sports along with all things muscle. It is my goal to offer as much value through this platform as possible because I believe that there is no cruise control. There is no maintaining. You're either learning, growing, and getting better, or you're going backwards. So wake up, be present, be relentless, and let's go. Hello, boys and girls. Top Strength Cast is back. We're doing another video. We're doing another episode. Can you believe it? Today, I am joined by Kevin Oak. How would I say it? Eight-time world record-holding powerlifter. Yeah. And Luke Skywalker. You are oh. new. You are the newly elected state rep. Yes. Of yes. Maine. Of Maine. Yeah. Judged a lot of my meets. Competitive powerlifter as well. Uh, very excited to do this podcast. I appreciate you guys for coming. Thank you very much. We just wrapped up uh, a seminar here. Ke- flew Kevin up from from Miami. Did, did, is it your first seminar? Did I pop your seminar, Cherry? No. I did <sighs> one at a high school in, I think, like November. I did one in London a couple years ago. In London? A couple. Not a lot. They pile up <laughs> in London? There's a little scene. There's a little scene. Nothing crazy, but they got Excellent. some stuff going on. I'm popping my travel seminar cherry next week up at jacked and jill which is where you're training right yep really appreciate the opportunity to, to hang out with those guys i've done a lot here but this will be my first one traveling to another location get to get to you know speak to your coaches your staff and your members i'm um, actually worked pretty closely with one of the coaches there for uh, kyle for i think a couple of years um he's a tennis coach and had some interest in strength training so i worked with him for a long while so i'm really looking forward to that uh so let's get right into it um I want to start with Kevin. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your background, how you came up. I, I understand you were a, a pretty prolific and successful uh, track athlete throughout high school and college and then eventually got into strength sports. So kick us off. Uh, I wouldn't say all that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I started off runner. Played basketball in middle school. Actually, I guess that's slightly interesting story in itself. Um, I was actually, so where I was in Long Island, I grew up in Dix Hills. You can start playing school sports, seventh grade, right? Middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So seventh grade, I primarily played basketball and I did track. Um, I was always fast, always athletic, I guess. But I was also, I was okay at basketball. Wasn't very skilled, but was super athletic, basically. Um, Fast forward, end of middle school, right? I was actually on an AAU basketball team as well as an AAU track team. And I kind of had to pick between the two because they were starting to travel and that sort of thing, like, you know how like all the AAU things are kind of over the summer. There's a lot of a lot of tournament stuff basically. Um, so I had to pick between track and basketball. I was just a lot better at track, so that's why I kind of focused on track. Did you enjoy track more, or did you, it's just what you were better at? I probably did. I probably did. Um, I probably winning's, w- winnings enjoyable. It is, but I probably <laughs> I probably felt like I was supposed to like basketball more or something. But I definitely I'm more of an individual sport kind of person. I don't really like depending on other people. So, and I was great at track. I love running. I love sprinting. I love jumping. So, it definitely suited suited what I liked more, and I just liked an individual sport, and I was better at it. So, I ended up kind of just focusing on that in high school. Um, kind of, you know, went through the levels of track, ended up being like an All-American sprinter in the 100 and 200. Um, I was an okay triple jumper, but I was a better sprinter probably. So, I ended up getting a scholarship to Villanova, went there for four years on like a track scholarship, obviously. Ran all four years. Um, dealt with, like, a lot of nagging injuries, that sort of thing. So didn't really, like, get to that level I wanted to get to. Um, but, yeah, once I graduated, I literally, same day as graduation, I had my last track meet, and then that was it for track. So um, fast forward, went back to New York City, um, became a stockbroker for a couple of years, and then I was kind of day trading. Um, and I... The way I stayed active was basically by going to the gym and just kind of lifting weights. So I wasn't really thinking about it in any sort of way, like, oh, I'm lifting weights so that, like, I can go on to do this. I just enjoy training. 
Um, and at some point, I just like kept lifting heavier, heavier, heavier. You heavier. must have had a pretty decent uh, strength training program and regimen they offered you at Villanova. I mean, a high end, you know, track program like that. You probably had some decent trainers and some and some strength training to follow, or is it kind of on your own? Honestly, we did have a program, but we just weren't big on it. Um, my coach just wasn't like back then. So I I was at Villanova from two thousand four to two thousand eight. Back then was kind of in the middle of when colleges started really developing like their actual strength programs and getting more into the weight room. So it was like hit or miss. You might go to school where they're bigger on it. You might go to school where they don't really care as much. We had like a great weight facility for sure. My coach specifically just wasn't that into it. So we lifted weights for sure, but I didn't really. um, It wasn't structured. It was structured. It just wasn't like a program you would think now. Like I'd squat in the Smith machine. I didn't deadlift. We would do hang cleans. Um, we would bench sometimes, I think. I think I did some, like, dumbbell shoulder press. Like, very basic. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Nowadays, I'm sure they probably have, like, a way more. Oh, no uh, doubt. Way yeah. better program. Um, probably just as much to increase performance, but also also injury prevention. Managing injury prevention. Yeah. Keep, keeps you, keeps you, uh, keeps you hard. Yeah, Dramatically but, decrease the chance of injury. Yeah, but I did always love lifting weights. I remember one time my coach said, like, you know, I feel like you like lifting weights more than you actually like running. And, like, I, th- I think I was pissed at the time, but it's funny in hindsight now because it's like, yeah, I was way better at lifting weights than running track, like, when everything's said and done. But, um, you know, as I got older and older, um, I had just kept lifting heavier and heavier, and it got to a point where everyone would always ask me when I was in a gym because I was a member of New York Sports Club, so you can go, like, any of them. So anytime i go to, like, a different location, they would always ask me, like, do you compete? Like, what do you – like lifting that weight for, and I'd always be like, no, nah, I just, you know, like lifting weight, and you know. But it got to a point where I was just kind of like, yeah, maybe like I should compete. I like competing in things, and I like lifting weight. Maybe I should compete in lifting weight. So <laughs> so at some point, I signed up for my first meet, showed up, did terrible, but loved doing it. It was yeah. pretty much addictive from the start. Yeah, you told that story in the beginning of the seminar. It was really interesting. It was kind of interesting to see someone who's as prolific and accomplished as you to hear how they got started. And it sounds like you just kind of threw yourself at it and uh, and what you weren't happy with your performance and it really bothered you because you didn't think it, it represented your ability. So you competed again like three weeks later, right? Yeah, so I showed up. I had no clue like what squat depth was. Um, I didn't know the rules of powerlifting. I didn't know what squat bars are, deadlift bars, like monolift. I didn't know any of that stuff. I was at a regular gym just lifting heavy like you would see a regular gym, bro. So when I get to the meet, um, I open up like 575 on squat. You're probably looking at the mono like, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah, like everyone was talking about like this mono lift. I'm like, what the heck is this mono lift? You're looking at it like that? That what that looks like it's something that belongs in a in like a in like an oil refinery or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's what we Well, that's what we used to squat out contraption. of. <laughs> yeah, like I was lifting a New York sports club with like regular bars with like the hexagon plates. Yeah, I actually my first my kind of first training job was at a Boston sports club. So same thing. I'm familiar same with thing. it. Yeah, yeah. And and to go on the equipment thing, it's so funny. One of the first trainers I hired when I became a director of personal training at my second gym, he was a competitive power lifter. And I remember so distinctly when we were training, strong guy, uh, shout out to my buddy, Tony Bonvecchio, um, great, great, great guy. But he was kind of the first person that exposed me to powerlifting. And he really threw me because we were deadlifting. We were doing like maybe, you know, 450, 500 pound deadlifts on a, on a Hamilton kind of, it was a, th- a very, very high end bar. It's like an $800 bar, but it's a super, super thick, yeah. really sturdy bar. And, and I'm, I'm trying to deadlift and, and Tony wouldn't even touch it. He's like, I can't deadlift on this fucking bar. I'm like, why not princess? He's like, I need a deadlift bar. And I was like, yeah, a deadlift yeah, bar. I know what deadlift bars were. Like, but then, but then you get your hands on one and now I'm like the biggest equipment princess in the world. I got a barbell for every single lift. I got a bar that I use for front squats, back squats, deadlift, bench. It's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It, it makes a difference, especially as you get more proficient in the sport. Yeah, so I, I mean, I had no clue about any of that stuff. Like, people would talk about the squat bar because they, it was an RPS meet. So, like, they use that big Iron Wolf squat bar that's like 65, 65 pounds. pounds so, you yeah. got the bench bar. It was like an oaky deadlift. But again, I have, I have no clue what this stuff is. So, um, I hit, I hit open 575 on squat. It was probably high, but they gave it to me. Then I went for like 650 or something and they red lighted me on depth. And then I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, like, I want to squat 700 in comp. I know I can hit it. You've hit it in the gym? I hit it in the gym, but super high. But yeah. back then, I didn't know that that was super high, basically. And everyone so, at New York Sports Club was like enamored, and they think you're a superhero. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I am a superhero. I'm going to go do it in a competition now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got that rude awakening. Yeah. So now I hit that. 
high, more high, obviously. So I got red lighted again, obviously. <laughs> um, bench went well. I think I benched 450. Um, went three for three. Deadlift, I had further issues. I think I opened like 575. Then I went for like 625 and like jumped the command or something. So got got red lighted. Then I might have went for like 650 or something and just couldn't get it. So went like five for nine. Um, thought it was a terrible representation of my strength. Obviously, I, I went in there thinking I was way stronger than I was in, in terms of powerlifting standards. So I mean, I was pissed. I loved competing and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing this. Like once I was in there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this. Like, I, bug. Knew <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, there was no once I was like in that meet, like lifting weights, warming up and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm all in on this. Right. So I did another meet like three, four weeks later. Um, I think it was RPS World Dog Nationals in like Pennsylvania. Went out there with my brother. Um, this time I decided to cut a little weight because I think I was walking around like 230 back then. So I did the cut. The cut went fine, thankfully. Um, and then I upped my numbers a little closer to where I was. The first meet was a 1600 total with all the dumb errors. Second meet was an 1800 total. Um, but still felt like I had some dumb errors. So then I think I took like six weeks or something like that, did another meet, and then I got like a 1900 total. Um, and that was a meet, like I said earlier, I went against Larry Wheels, and I think our totals were very close. How old are you now, mid-20s? So I was 27. I think he was 19 yep. at the time, which I had no clue. Like I said, Yeah, I remember you saying that earlier. You, you found yeah. out he was a kid afterwards. You're like, what? Yeah, basically <laughs> what happened was I was I asked my brother. I'm like, oh, is anyone close to me? Because I thought someone else there was close so he was kind of keeping an eye on the numbers and he was like oh that guy i think is close he had like a really big bench or something and i had no clue who it was i just see him i think it's like a 30 year old dude and then later on like a youtube vid popped up or something and it was like animal pack athlete or something like like 19 years old or something i was like he's 19 like yeah, he's what a the teenager hell? <laughs> yeah like what the fuck Freak. so at some point i reached out to him i forget how i got in contact with him um, but I was like, oh, let's, you know, go train at this gym in Queens. Cause we, we actually ended up living, we lived like five minutes away from each other back then in the Bronx. So a lot of the times we would drive to Queens to go to the gym together. Cause I was the only powerlifting gym in New York city that had like a monolift, calibrated plates, deadlift bars, all that stuff. So we started going over there. Um, but yeah, once I was in those three meets, first three meets were RPS, right? So once I did those, I was like, all right, I need to like step up and do like the bigger meets or whatever like what's the big meet right so i look it up and everyone's talking about war unity back then so my next meet was war unity i go to war unity i like you know what he's talking about because oh, yeah. i have no idea yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. war <laughs> unity meets were were it back then yeah. that was like everyone in un on the untested side like you gotta go to war unity if you're trying to prove a point like if you're trying to say you're the best that's the meet you kind of gotta go to prove that you that your lifting is like legit and that you're really strong basically so Go to War Uni. It's actually a funny story. I don't think I ever really told people this, but I was like broke when I went to War Uni. I remember like I was so broke that like I think when I got back from War Unity, I had like $17 or something. Like I had like no money. And I remember like not really caring that I had no money, but more so just being happy that I had enough money to like get there and get back. Yeah. So I could at least do the meet and like do all that. And I was like, all right, at least like figure the money out. I'll later. figure it I'm all out. I'm trying to hit some numbers here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's funny in hindsight, because you always hear people complain about money and shit. And I'm just like, yeah, I went to this meet, like I was fucking broke. Like, and I was just so happy to like go to the meet and like do it and compete against everyone. Cause I remember walking in, um, I think it was like a two-day meet or something, but when I walked in um, there was just a bunch of people there the first day. I don't, it must've been the day before the meet. I forget what it was, but I remember first I saw Jay Nera and I was like, fuck that guy's jacked in person. Right. Then I saw, um, oh fuck. I forget his name. He has the world record bench at 242. Um, Luke Hornstra, Hornstra, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Hornstra. All right. And I saw him in person. I was like, fuck, that guy's like jacked. Like, I'm nowhere near these guys, right? So I just remember being like, fuck, like, these guys at this level are like jacked as hell. Like, they're stacked with muscle. I was like, I got to get my muscle up, right? Um, anyways, did the meet. Ended up totaling like 1,900 or something. I actually, I won my division at 220 with a 1,900, but that was the knee wraps division. Dan Green won the knee sleeves division with like a 2,100 total. So that was when he was like killing it. Yeah. Yeah, he was breaking records. I think he, I think he, 
I think that was the year where, like, two weeks before he competed and broke, like, the 242 record. Then he cut the 220, broke the 220 record, broke the squat right? He was, like, breaking every record known to man in, like, every weight class, right? So I remember um, talking to him a bit at first. I was, like, when I first met him, and I was, like, talking to him about cutting. Because the whole story and the whole talk was, like, oh, Dan Green cut, like, 25 pounds. It's crazy. Like, oh. And everyone's, like, people were talking about it in a way, like, oh, like, that's unfair. And my first thought is, like, Oh yeah, like that's how like we can do that. Like, how do you do that, right? Like, yeah. how can I do that, right? How can I weigh in at two twenty but compete at two forty? Yeah, that was yeah. my first thought. I'm like, oh well, next year, like I'm coming in like ready for you know what I mean. So, talked to him a lot about weight cutting and like learn that stuff. And next the next year when I came to War Uni, I think it was like two forty five something like that. So, learned all that, but great experience. That's kind of how I got into powerlifting. Fast forward, you know, worked up the ranks, ended up breaking world records at. 220, like the 220 total with knee wraps, 220 total without knee wraps, 240. You have a preference, wraps versus sleeves or just whatever? Definitely sleeves. I'm competing wraps and knees. Yeah. Yeah. I'm way, I'm not a good knee wrap squatter. I don't really get much out of them compared to most people. And it's a lot easier for me to train sleeves. It takes a lot less, oh, it's less variables. You need two, three friends to help it's, you out. It's yeah. a pain. Yeah. But, you yeah. a wrap guy? Uh, Yeah. But I'm thinking about switching to sleeves just because it's, just a, like a, that last meet we did here. Yeah. I mean, it was great, but just doing it by yourself and not having somebody. And those new inzers, yeah. I mean, they're not quite wraps, but they have kind of a wrap pop feel out of them, especially when you first get them. Um, when I first got them, I, I wasn't really crazy about it. Cause I'm like, these feels like wrap. They feel like shit, but I stuck with them. And third, fourth, fifth session, um, they, they feel good. And I feel like you can get a little pop like you do out of a wrap out of them. The feeling is very uh, similar. Yeah. And especially yeah. like that behind the knee feeling that they have. Yeah, I yeah, think they, it's yeah, just exactly. the material. Yeah, it's but weird. It like I'm same. still trying to decide if they threw me off because I, I did wear the injuries at my last meet by squat less. So I'm like trying to, I'm like, do they really help? Like, because the problem nice is they throw, make you get me that squat nice throw forward in the bottom, throw forward into the knees and yeah. pop back. I, I feel like I get yeah, a little see, bit of I don't like that because then it's harder for me to hit depth and it kind of messes with how I squat. So yeah. I'm debating whether... Um, and I don't use them for high reps either. If I got more than threes or I fives, I, I, yeah. used, I used to use SBDs or my Cerebrus. That's probably my like mistake. That. I probably needed to save them until like right before the meet. Yeah. Kind of throw them on. Cool. So um, how, how long is that stint? So you started, uh, you were 27. My first meet was 2013, July 2013. Um, 27, now I'm 36. So nine years you've been competing. Almost 10. Yeah. Did I do that math right? Doesn't feel like it, but I yeah. embarrass myself on. on, on the <laughs> yeah, it's my it's my ninth year. Just one thing you mentioned that I just want to touch on real quick uh, before I, I, we talk about Luke a little bit. Um, when you were speaking about that, you liked weight training more than athletics. I can. I'm curious if, if it's similar for you. I'm the same way. I mean, I love. I always love sports, but similar to you, I'm always. I'm someone that's dealt with a lot of injuries, a lot of aches, chronic pain. Um, you know, I had a head-on collision as a young kid. I broke, like, 13 bones. You know, you just never really feel the same. And I love athletics. I love playing sports, be it basketball, football. But the thing is, is the injuries are always a factor when you're out in the open athletically. But I found I really love lifting weights because you're in control of all the variables. You're in a vacuum. Yeah. So if I got something that's bothering me, I can still get a great session and, and, and work around it. Yeah. And and that really, that that helped me a great deal. And I, and I know that's that's... Aside from just when you get a when you get a sick pump and you feel huge, it's awesome. But I just really I really struggled to feel comfortable consistently playing sports. Where in the gym, I was always able to do what needed to be done to get through a workout and feel like I got something done and feel good. Yeah, you know? for sure. I mean, I'm sure at this age, there's no way I could have still been playing sports. Like I would have been completely broken. Yeah, I'm already completely broken anyway. Still, still, I make it to the gym and get those reps in. Well, so I feel best 30, 45 minutes in when I'm warmed up. You know, when, I, when I'm yeah. walking around, I'm an achy pile of shit. Yeah. It's funny. I noticed that. Like, I feel worse outside the gym. Fuck yeah. But once, I get, <laughs> once I get on the bike and start doing mobility, I'm like, oh, I actually feel all right. Fantastic. Like, not yeah. that bad. Yeah, was, then, was, like, the second I get out, get home and, like, sit, then it comes back. Yeah, people will come over and be like, hey, um, you know, some people that, that follow what I'm doing and whatnot, they'll be like, dude, Steve... He fucking lifts this. He lifts that. Oh my god, he's so this and that. And my my the people who that train would be like, yeah, you should see him get out of a car. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. you know what I mean, for sure. Like it looks pretty great when he's pulling eight hundred off the floor. But if you want to see him get out of bed in the morning, it's not a pretty yeah. fucking picture. <laughs> yeah. All right, Luke. So so how'd you get started, man? You've been in the game for a while. This uh, is- yeah. This is like I'm like six years in. How old are you? Like that uh, I just turned thirty. Okay. So, um, played sports my whole life. I was a big basketball kid growing up. Probably started playing that when I was like. 
Oh, well, early. Yeah, really. <laughs> really my, early. my dad was a basketball junkie, so that kind of oh, yeah. started yeah. right then. So did that, did AAU, went to nationals for that. Um, oh, so did you used to go like the Disney World tournament? Yeah. I yeah. always used to watch those yeah, when we I was got, like we got, out doing track. Yeah, we got absolutely crushed. Always see crazy <laughs> shit in there. I remember like I'd go in between events and stuff and watch it. And like when I was in eighth grade, I would see people like dunking, doing like crazy shit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, nah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. The, the state <laughs> tournament was great, just because you knew you were gonna punch your ticket to go, and, yeah. then, and then you get down there and you're playing people from like Cali and stuff, and you're just like, yeah, you really yeah, see the top is, dogs, so you're like, oh, because yeah. even thinking back, I'm like, oh, I was probably there when like LeBron James, like Carmelo Anthony were there. Like I probably saw them and didn't know, but I just remember seeing people bawling out when I was in like eighth, ninth grade, thinking like, yo, that's not. That's yeah. not where I'm at. <laughs> like that is, that is I was another level. <laughs> I'm just not there today. I don't think I'm ever going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> guys uh, are looking like NBA players when they're 13. Basically, years old. yeah. You they already know what their future plans are and stuff. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically, after graduated that, tried to walk on it to like the Division One team in my home state at UMaine. Decided it wasn't really worth paying to actually play a sport and not ride the bench and stuff. Uh, basically, after that, just I've always trained up all the way up through anyways. And then it was kind of at the point where I was training more than focusing on like other sports or even going to class. We had like a big group chat and be like, everybody going to class. Be like, I'm going to the gym. (laughs) 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 And then uh, ended up after I graduated, ended up moving down here um, to Portland, which is like a couple hours North from Orono. Uh, Basically just started. I found like a strength gym. They are called Jack and Jill, where Steve's going to be next week. Um, so it's pretty recent, because they've only been around for three, four years, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been down there for like five years. Nice. Yeah. Um, just kind of grew into that, and then I hired a coach back in 17, and I was kind—I was one of those kids who wanted to do something competitive, but I wasn't sure like if that was going to be bodybuilding or powerlifting, because I still trained the same way. Yeah. And then he's just, he kind of just, coaxed me into it he's like well i'm gonna do this meet he's like just go sign up and we'll just see how you do and then instantly once i walked into the room just seeing like a crowd in the warm-up room like you were saying just instantly hooked so yeah when did you start uh refereeing refereeing uh i actually looked at this the other day i'm actually almost three years in yeah and what was the draw to that just wanted to kind of give back to the sport uh yeah i i actually bombed out on my first meet and uh adam Fershin came up to me and he's like you want are you interested and i was like do you want to learn why that yeah <laughs> oh I, I i knew why i knew why i uh it was a rough, that was probably one of my rougher reps because it was like i tore my lat two weeks out still tried to deadlift i couldn't pull so i just kind of scratched it but yeah it was it was kind of he approached me after that and yeah it's been great ever since I, I just love the community and just everything that you can do for the sport everything like that and just bringing things and making the sport more exciting beautiful yeah, both very cool stories, you know. Um, where the three of us are all kind of, I mean, I don't know if there's like a scale, you know, how many injuries makes you uh, an experienced injury. <laughs> well, I haven't had human. actual surgery. I'm always very close. Yeah. Just under <laughs> necessary. Like. Yeah. Oh, I can just wait this out. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like partial thickness tear, not like full tear. Like I'm, I escape the injury, the actual surgery need, luckily, so. You guys I, might be more banged up than me somehow. A <laughs> little bit. It's kind of just some kind of some concepts and a discussion I want to have, you know, for our listeners to understand a bit about injury. You know, being 30, I'm going to be 35 in August, um, and just kind of looking back over the years, I, I know the reason why one of the biggest things that's held me back is just being stubborn. And as things start, you know, we just want to train. I just want to lift. I want to put more fucking pounds on the bar. I want to get bigger. And, you know, you become desensitized to aches and pains. It's like, whatever, man, it's just kind of part of the game. It's no big deal. Just just whatever. Keep going. Keep going. But as I'm getting older and I'm, you know, and, and being banged up, but also connecting with more resources and through experience and maybe, dare I say, becoming a bit more mature of a an athlete or a lifter and also doing this professionally, it's just kind of developing this understanding of there's no rush long-term process and realizing that, you know, kind of nipping things in the butt as they come. Um, and also just getting really irritated with people that you see all the time, just constantly using these injuries and these ailments as an excuse for not being able to train when it's like, why don't you get that shit taken care of? 
Um, and I get it because you want to keep going. You want to keep training. But the thing is, is that shit just doesn't go away. And I think it's very important that when we start to feel aches and pains or get banged up or have an injury, you know, let that take precedence over your training for however long is necessary so that it could be a two-week or a two-month issue rather than a two-year or lifetime issue. Uh, would, you, would you agree with that? It's, it's hard. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, hard, it's, very it's a hard, hard call to make. A lot of the times the biggest issue is you don't realize how hurt you are. A lot of the times where I've had muscle tears, I just thought it was just like sore. Strain, and then I didn't yeah. take care of it. And then I got an MRI and found out, no, it's, it's torn. <laughs> no, you need like PRP in that. That's that's a tear. That's yeah. why it hurts every day. Yeah. So yeah. And there's plenty of resources out there. And also, when you're structuring your training and your workouts, just being conscious and taking the necessary time to do your drills and do your warm-ups and put yourself in a position to be able to have a successful and effective workout. I can't believe the amount of people I see that just walk in and go to a squat rack and start squatting. Not only can I not do that, but even yeah. if I could, I just know that it wouldn't serve me. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a lot out on the table when I don't have, you know, a certain, a certain list of, of T's to cross and I's to dot before I start climbing up to my top set. You know, it's super important. And, and the resources are out there. And it's really funny when, when I drop questions on, on my Instagram, the, the amount of questions I get from people about injuries. Is I'm like, listen, stop asking us meatheads on Instagram about <laughs> injuries. Like, go see somebody. Let them get their hands on you. Let them give you eval and put together a, a protocol. There's a lot of good yeah. um, practitioners out there that can give you the direction, that actually understand the synergistic relationship between physical therapy and strength and conditioning. So... Um, I think that's very important to to just communicate to to our listeners that, you know, th these these issues could be a one or two week thing rather than a, a two or three year thing or a career ending thing. But then you also have your freak injuries like you had recently when you were bench pressing. If you want to talk about that, is is it too soon? No, it's good. <laughs> I'm kind of over it now. Now that I can actually move it around a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think this this started back like over a year ago. Uh, I was like probably two months out or something like that from a meet. And I just kept complaining about like shoulder pain and not knowing, just kept pushing through or I'd take a day off from like benching or like switch my grip to a talon grip just to give like my arm, just some stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then fast forward, like I did an RPS meet felt great. It was probably the best I've ever felt. Um, got my highest total at that meet as well. Then two weeks later, it came back, just same pain, couldn't do anything. I was taping it, taking injections, cortisone shots, everything. And then this last March, I was a week out from uh, the Arnold Pro Day and felt great going in. Like I started, I was, I probably didn't bench for like a solid like month and a half or so just to like ease off it. So that was kind of our plan going into it. And then just kind of slowly work back into like maybe just see what I can hit for an opener just to get me into the meet. And then I can make it up on my squat and bench and then see how I can uh, do against the other guys at that point. Because there was only like I think three of us in the 181 class at that. It, it was a it was a small Arnold. But uh, yeah, so I'm like, pretty set on just opening up at 315, taking it easy. I'm, I was probably honestly going to call it right there. And then came down, paused, got halfway up, heard a pop, didn't know what it was. Still trying to press it. Then the next thing I know, the bars, my arms coming back down towards me. Don't know what's going on. The video is fucking horrific. Oh, it's like awful. hard to watch. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to watch because I know you personally. But if even if I know who you were, it's 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 a it's yeah. a it's a tough video to watch. It's funny because like I I think I get more views on my videos when I get hurt than yeah. my actual. Yeah. List. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's always the travesty yeah. of social media. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, but looking back, it's like you, you hear that, and I mean, you had aches and pains. You were, you, were, you were kind of doing things to work around it. You know, I don't think that, that was such a freak thing. I don't really think there was much more you could have done. I mean, you could have went and got imaging done on your humerus to see what kind of shape your bone was in. But, I mean, how, well, that, that's looking the thing, back. I, I did have that done. Yeah. So it's like looking back, what could you have it. done differently to have prevented that? Nothing. Just a, just a freak thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I broke my ribs two, week, or two months before that, too. Yeah. <laughs> So when, when it comes to injuries, um, and I'd like kind of your take on this, Kevin, too, it's like you don't stop. You know, a lot of people get hurt and they think it's over. You don't stop. You just redirect. So a lot of, a lot of the listeners have, have heard me, you know, bitch and complain about my left elbow and, and tricep for the last five years. 
I never stopped. I just redirected. You know, I don't have my left arm now, right? So what, what can I do? And you sit down for a minute and you can still do a lot, you know? All the squat variations, boxes, step-ups. You know, you can use the SSB if you have one of them. Obviously, machines. There's uh, core work, walks. You know, there's still so much things you can do. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you can kind of start to manipulate your perspective a bit and see this injury almost as an opportunity to focus on other things that maybe you wouldn't, definitely wouldn't focus on if I had both my arms, if I didn't have this injury. Um, when you probably, it sounds like probably the worst injury that you've dealt with was your lat. You had a quad tear. Yeah. That you kind of seem to get the back on your feet pretty quick. quad tear recovered pretty, um, pretty quickly, especially once I got PRP in my quad tendon, but the lat has just never been the same. A big issue with the lat was me and my PT at the time didn't realize how bad it was. So we weren't doing the necessary things to really get it back. But after a couple months, we were kind of like, wait, why isn't it getting better? And it's still like structurally, if just looking at it, you can tell there's something wrong. So by the time I got PRP in it, it was kind of like a little, a little late, basically. Um, but yeah, that's been the worst. More so because I'm just so uneven now. So when I'm deadlifting, I'm just way off center. Like one arm is hanging down more than the other. So it causes issues in my SI joint. It's just Same causing a lot of imbalances. So when you're doing that, the problem is like every single rep you're doing that exercise now, you're doing inefficiently and you're doing it in a way that it's causing damage somewhere. You're, you're almost, you're not almost, you're essentially strengthening the compensation. Yeah. Right. So there's a compensatory strategy that's going to happen when you're, when you have an injury. And if you continue to train what you need to do, if it's, even though it's not fixed, you're just going to continue to strengthen that compensatory strategy. And it's just, it's going to keep getting worse and worse. Yeah. Really interesting how I'm, you know, I definitely agree with your perspective on, you know, as a deadlifter, as a conventional deadlifter to work in sumo deadlifts and variations of to just kind of create more movement variability and, and, and bulletproof bulletproof your system. But what's very interesting with you is you are uh, competitively a conventional deadlifter, but because of your lat, you actually train sumo more often than conventional. Well, uh, even, even before the lat, I always, I, majority of my powerlifting career, I've pulled sumo more in training. And then kind of the, I try to get like three, maybe four conventional sessions in before a meet. That's about all that I need. And every now and then I'll just randomly do it just because I feel like it. But for the most part, like sumo actually strengthens my deadlift because it hits all my weaknesses. Conventional is more of like a display of strength for me because I can just do it. It's my body's built to like move in that way. I've always moved in that way, whether it's jumping, whether it's sprinting. My body's just designed to move that way already. So when I do that, I'm just displaying strength. I'm not really building strength when I train that, I feel like. But when I train sumo, it's hitting a lot of my weaknesses. It's hitting my tight hips. It's making me be more mobile. It's making me build up my hip strength, uh, my glutes, etc. So sumo definitely helps me actually increase my strength in deadlifting in general. Conventional is more of just me like displaying strength. I also uh, recall you describe, describing the fact that the conventional deadlift is extremely costly for you. You can really only train it once every 10 days because yeah. it takes so long to recover where you could probably train your sumo a bit more frequently without as much cost. Yeah, for the most part of conventional, when I train it, to actually fully recover from a fairly heavy, heavy conventional deadlift takes me about 10 days. Um, from sumo, it takes probably more like five days. From a heavy back squat, it's like five days. Heavy front squat, probably like three days. Um, bench press, like four or five days, something like that. So, so the times where I do pull conventional deadlift, I have to kind of work around that. Because for the most part, my posterior chain's not going to recover. So that's when I'll usually throw in like an SSB front squat a couple days later. Because I'm not really using my posterior chain on that. That's a lot more anterior chain and quads. Yeah, you, so, you, you want to get some more stimulus, but you're still not recovered from your big deadlift sessions so you, or squat sessions. Exactly. You're throwing, you're throwing it's, the front squat. It's the body parts that aren't recovered. Because on a conventional deadlift, my quads will be fine like two days later. Like that's fine. Like my abs, my interior core is fine. It's my posterior chain that's smoked. So I just can't do posterior chain for a while. But I can do quads still. I can still use my legs. I can still do anterior. So that's why I'll throw in like an SSB front squat. So I'm still getting a squat stimulus. I just can't do a back squat because obviously back squatting still takes a good amount of posterior chain. Yeah, I really, I really like that approach and kind of that, that perspective because I, I speak about that a lot with, you know, powerlifters and and really anybody. People tend to be so dogmatic and and polarized in the sense that in order to improve a skill or improve a specific lift, you have to train that lift, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, I I, I kind of try and describe. I'm interested to hear guys' take on this. Like if you have like a squat continuum. 
if that's the right word. And here in my left hand, you have the squattiest of the squats. And here on my right hand, you have the hingiest of the squats. So on, on, on my right hand here, I have my, you know, if you happen to be a low bar hingy competitive squatter, that's going to be all the way here on the right. That's the hingiest of the hingiest squat, uh, the most posterior chain stress, but potentially because of leverages, the most opportunity to lift the most weight. And then you kind of come a little bit closer this way. Let's say you go to maybe a, a high bar squat. And then you progress a little bit further, and then you maybe go to an SSB, and then you come a little further, a little squatter, you go to a front squat. Um, maybe you could work in um, zerchers in there, depending on your on, on your positioning. Zerchers, you have a lot of room. You can kind of yeah. be really squatty or hingy. And then all the way to the left, you would have like the squattiest, squattiest elevator squat ever of like a probably a goblet high heel elevated. Yeah. And the, the way that I describe it is... When you ha every squat as you go up the continuum and get more squatty and less hingy is going to improve the hingier version, right? If you just hammer low bar back squats all the time, you're going to hit a ceiling. And all of a sudden, you start doing the stripper squat and you overload and you start developing overuse issues and compensatory strategies. And you don't need to do it that often. You, if, if you go to a high bar, an SSB, a front squat, or even a goblet, you're going to improve that competition low bar back squat. And that, it was really interesting to hear how little you're actually doing your competition deadlift and your competition squat. Um, you, you tend to, to, to work in these, these less taxing, less costly variations, which has developed, I mean, it fucking works. Yeah, and even you squat eight sixty at two hundred forty pounds, it's pretty pretty good. You know what I mean? So and, there's something to it. And even with what you're saying, basically, with that, if you're someone who's already posterior chain dominant, and say like your best lift is like a conventional deadlift, then there's even less reason for you to be doing like a low bar squat all the time. Yeah, you're not gonna get much bang for your buck. You're just using your posterior chain. So if you actually want to increase your squat overall, you should be going further to the right side of what you were saying and trying to do like more front squats and more like elevator you know, kind of squats, more goblet squats, heels elevated, stuff like that. Because you now need to find a way to isolate your quads and build your leg strength. Yeah. If you're posterior chain dominant already, and then you're constantly doing low bar squats, it's like, how are you actually going to increase your quad strength? Every time you try to squat, you're just switching, you're just moving most of the emphasis of the squat to your posterior chain, and your legs aren't getting stronger. Yeah. You have to put yourself in a position where you can only use your legs. That's why you would do something like a front squat, because if you try to, you know, switch it to your, posterior chain on a front squat, you're going to drop the bar. Yeah, you're trying to bend it. over and hinge, the bar is just going to get dumped. You're not going to get the lift. You're going to be forced into a position where you have to lift it correctly and use your legs to lift the weight to do the exercise. Yeah. The, the, Which the, will then carry over to short back squat. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of having the idea and the perspective and approach to actually play to your weaknesses rather than play to your strengths. Because playing to your weaknesses will improve your strengths in your strengths. One of the best lines I took away from, from Matt Wenning, he was one of the first guys I had up here for a seminar, and I, I, I spent some time with him every time I go out to Ohio, is a lot of guys and girls go to the gym to pat themselves on the back when they probably should be going to kick themselves in the balls. Um, you know, a lot of us get stuck in this... This mode and 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 this gauge to want to want to do the things that we're good at because it makes us feel good. Like yeah, I hit that big squat, that yeah. was great. But you know what? That's that's not going to get you much better. You know, for every one exercise you do that you pat yourself on the back, you should probably do two or three that kick you in the balls. And that's not only going to make you stronger, but it's going to bulletproof the system and it's going to dramatically decrease your chances of injury. And it, there's no secret. There's there's plenty of guys and girls out there that are genetically gifted and just do a lot of great things in a few years. But the strongest guys and girls in the world are the ones that have been doing it the longest. And the ones that have been doing it the longest successfully have been able to not necessarily stay injury free, but be able to stay healthy enough to create an adaptation and build real authentic strength. Would you guys agree with that? Yes, absolutely. So. This is great. So we talk about real, authentic strength. Now we can kind of <laughs> criticize what's happening with powerlifting as, <laughs> as a sport. If you guys don't mind, are you comfortable doing that? I sure fucking am. I, I, I agree. Okay. I'm, I'm I've been cool. canceled before. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll so I've only been doing this a short while. I, I've been competing for five years. But my, my background is, you know, I originally started lifting weights because I hated the way I felt when I didn't lift, and I loved the way I felt when I did. Same and I just wanted to get as yeah, you know what I mean. I I felt like a big soggy that's, bag of wet dicks walking around. That's but. what kept me in it after after um I graduated college. I definitely went through periods where I wasn't lifting. Yep. I always felt worse. I always felt like not really fully myself, like just kind of lethargic, like no no energy. Like you just feel kind of bland, just off. Yeah, just off. But anytime I'd get back in the gym, like I get that energy back. I feel good. Like. 
I feel like there's something I'm looking forward to in the day. And like, no oh, doubt. Yeah, this is what I want to hit today. And for that two hours in the gym and maybe the hour or two afterwards, I just feel good. I feel full. I feel pumped up. And then when that goes away, I'm like, I got to get back in the gym. That's literally what kept me training for probably the first shit. I started at 13 and I didn't start doing it for a job. I mean, I, I did it for sports, but not. I, I didn't really lift weights to get better at sports. I lifted weights because I wanted to lift weights, but I started training and actually doing it professionally in my early 20s, so easily the first 8, 9, 10 years. What kept me in the gym was just I liked the way that I felt, and I wanted to build muscle and be strong, not just in the gym, but strong outside of the gym, a, a more capable human, a more capable guy, you know, and, 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 and that was just always so important to me. And something that I've kind of noticed in the sport of powerlifting, where it's so specific, um, there, I see a lot of a lot of athletes, competitive athletes, doing everything they can to get the most out of leverages, decreasing range of motion, just to put more pounds on the bar as long as they're within the rules. But the thing is. Whatever happened to building some fucking muscle, man? What you know? I understand that you have that you can pull seven, eight hundred pounds with a really wide stance sumo, but we all know this the the language that muscles respond to, the language that muscles speak, the stimulus that causes muscles to grow and adapt and get stronger is tension, maximal tension, direct tension in the muscle taken through the full range of motion. And that's kind of gone to the wayside um, when it comes to competitive powerlifting where people are trying to shorten range of motion as much as possible, be as efficient as possible, and, and really trying to get as much out of leverages rather than focusing on building real authentic strength that will apply out, off of the platform. I mean, yeah, me personally, I mean, I've always wanted to look like I lift weights. I didn't, like, when I started competing, I didn't want to be just, like, a skinny kid that can just pull, like, 600 off the ground, you know what I mean? Or just the stereotypical, like, 80s or 90s power lifter. You just get as big as possible, and it, you're Yeah, still, I don't, I don't yeah, want that either. It's just awful, yeah. Yeah, because because you're pigeonholing holding yeah. yourself there, too. Yeah, I want to actually, like, treat myself and look like an athlete. Because then it, it improves your abilities um, everywhere. Yeah. And also, I feel like from a biomechanical standpoint, when you are doing really wide stance deadlifts, the contortion is really wide grip, high arch bench, the majority of the stress of the load is going to be placed on the ligaments, tendons, and joints and not on the soft tissue of the muscle. Is, 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 did I articulate that correctly? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, obviously... You're, you're gonna get you're gonna get more out of kind of a wider stance, uh, less range of motion squat. But if I'm able to really create tension and place the tension upon my quads, hamstrings, and glutes, and take it through a full range, that's just gonna offer a, 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 a better training stimulus that's gonna build more authentic muscle and authentic strength. Yeah, and I mean a lot of this is kind of like what's going on with Steph Curry, right? Because Steph Curry can shoot from half court, that's awesome for Steph Curry. But then when middle school kids are shooting from half court, you're like, wait, you guys shouldn't be doing it. So that's why I see a lot of in powerlifting. You see, that's a great point. A lot of brand new newbies that don't have a goddamn ounce of muscle are yeah. are trying to get as wide as they can and they're use coming all their in the leverages. gym day one. All they're thinking about is leverages. They want to stay in like the one forty eight pound weight class. They want to put on muscle, and it's like, all right, that's not where you guys are at. Like you should be focused on like eating, putting on muscle doing a lot of hypertrophy, building yourself up, doing variation, you know what I mean? But they're coming in the gym nowadays, like obviously everyone has Instagram, they're seeing this guy did this, he's getting a lot of views, I wanna be like that, I wanna, you know, I'm just gonna pull wide sumo or whatever it is. And they're thinking like, oh, I'm, I wanna go from point A and just be at point B, and there's nothing in between. And yeah. It's like, no, there's a lot of in between. It. Yeah, and it's like, listen, one, that person that's doing it is like the top like .01%. There, there, there was a journey, a long journey, and a long process that happened before he got there. Yeah. He's accumulated tens of thousands of hours taking shots in the paint, refining his skill, becoming a very proficient basketball player that now, as a skill, as a trick, can throw up a half-court half jumper. You, you don't start playing basketball trying to, hit, trying to hit from the half-court. Exactly, but if you talk to people you see, if you talk to people who have kids like in middle school nowadays, they're like, Every kid wants to run up the court and, you know, shoot from half court. We can't tell him anything because Steph Curry's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can definitely kind of notice the parallel from that to, to, to strength sports. They see the way that these, these highly skilled, highly adept, highly experienced strength athletes are utilizing leverages to add weight to the bar. But there was a whole process that came before that. 
It's, it's a very, very good point. I never, I never thought about that. That, made, that makes a lot of great, that's a really great what point. I, what I always say to that, too, is like, say, for, for example, like Bob's sumo yeah. stance. You know, I, I get that probably quite a bit. They're like, oh, I want to go deadlift like Bob. And I'm like, you can't. One, you're not that strong. Two, you don't have the same leverages as he is. And three, you haven't worked at it like that either. Yeah. So it's totally different compared to the person. Like, I couldn't go pull or squat like Steve in the same stance. We're not built the same. Yeah. A lot, of the th- a lot of what goes on in powerlifting, too, is people don't understand that they have to learn the correct, efficient way to do a lift. Once they've kind of, like, gotten great at that, like, then they can start to veer off from it. Yeah. But you're getting too many people nowadays that are just trying to go, like I said, from point A with nothing in between, just be at point B. They're trying to start at point B. Or call it, like, A to C without going through B. Yeah. yeah. And, and B, B's the show. B, B's the price of admission. B's the ticket, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's a very strong point. Um, I mean, just in general, you get a lot of people in powerlifting now, and there's two ways to look at this, right? Obviously, we're talking about the guys that are pulling like a thousand plus sumo or whatever, and they have a short range of motion or whatever. Now, obviously, if I could do that, I would. That's number one. Because it's a sport, I want to move the most weight. Trying to win. Could I do it? Would I do it if I could? Obviously, yes. But does that mean like everyone should be trying to do it? Like, should that be like all the sports about right now is like, oh, like I'm just trying to be that. If I can't be that, then nothing counts in the sport. Like, you know what I mean? That's kind of where my issue lies. It's not really with the individual that does it well. It's just with the people thinking like that's all that matters. Yeah. And that's all they should try to be doing. And if they can't do that, then nothing. You know what I mean? Like then nothing counts. And they train that way within those parameters kind of year round. When realistically, when you're talking about training, let's say across the course of a year, if you're competing twice that year, seven to eight months of that year should be completely focused upon output and just trying to move weight and build capacity and build strength and build muscle um, as as much you know as much as possible. And then as you get closer to a competition, you can start to refine and start to be a little more, a little, a, a lot more specific. But that comes after um, you know a long period of output and trying to create um, you know movement capacity in in the big three. And you spoke about that um, you know immediately after a peak, immediately after a meet. You, you, you don't touch a barbell for however long, or at least you, you do it in a much different I, manner. I try not to, but what I was saying is, like, your number one goal after a meet should be feeling better. Most people don't feel well. I shouldn't feel, say feel well, like, as if they're sick. But in terms of, like, your joint health and just how your body feels, you're worn out. You just peaked physically and mentally. Like, you need a break. Last thing you need to do is, like, get a barbell on your back immediately. You need to, one, prioritize just feeling better. You need to start moving more because by the time you get to a peak – you're at a point where all you're doing is like squat, bench, deadlift, like heavy. You need to get away from that. You need to move more. You need to do more lateral movements. You want to do some jumping, some running, like anything. You just need to move more. You need to get your body feeling better. Like once you feel better, then you can say, all right, now I want to start to build strength again. Then you can build strength again. Then you probably have to go through another period. Like I was saying, then once you get to like 16 weeks out from a meet, from that 16 weeks, that 12 week out period, you have four weeks where again, you need to like try to get your body like as fresh as possible. So I think going into the meat prep, you're nice and fresh. You never want to start a meat prep like already tired and worn out. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, you know, you have to resensitize resensitize your system, you know, to the actual movements. If you finish a peak and you finish competing and you stay right back on, do it using the same patterns, training the same patterns, you're going to just you're already at your ceiling. You know, you have to start over and redirect for a bit in order to increase your ceiling so that when you come back a few months later and start prepping again, you're starting with, with a fresh system, you feel better, you've addressed all these aches and pains, and then that's how you can make kind of make some more progress. And it can be frustrating because as you get stronger and stronger, like you said, you put 200 pounds in your total in three weeks when you started. Now we're just trying to add 30 or 40 pounds yeah. to our total. I'm like, I just like, you know. Get 10 more pounds in this squat. Yeah. I'd love that. That'd be cool. It's Can fun. I get five pounds on this bench? It's funny looking back at my last probably three or four meets, my openers are like the same. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes they're even Pretty lower because like, yeah. I'll undershoot my openers a bit to try and you know leave some more gas in the tank for the for the top attempts. Um, all right, so moving forward, kind of moving on from powerlifting, how we got connected is you kind of developed a bit of an interest in, in strongman training. Yeah. So um, what, funny what, enough. How, how did that start? Well, I've always liked strongman. Funny enough, I did a strongman competition – before I ever did powerlifting. Oh, really? I did, um, I did one of Johnny Wasico's comp- contest in New Jersey. Um, again, I signed up for it like five days out. Had no clue what the hell I was doing. <laughs> Same thing with my first one. It was a charity for a local police 
like I think the local police station, and I, and I and I had a crush on the girl that was dating the cop, and she's like, "You want to do this strongman cop?" And I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I do!" <laughs> <laughs> and I won. Hadn't touched the shit ever in my life. It was a, it was a blast. Yeah, I did not win. <laughs> I got hurt. <laughs> yeah, I did. I definitely did not win. Um, I showed up, and I, again, I was training at New York Sports Club at the time, so not only, a lot of access no to Atlas Stones and uh, yokes at New York Sports Clubs. No, no idea or technique or any anything of the sort. So I show up. There's similar thing, like, okay, I've been deadlifting, so it was a car deadlift. Able to do that, obviously. There was a circus dumbbell press, so I was able to do that. I do shoulder pressing, right? Yeah. But there was also a log press, and I just couldn't lock it out because I just didn't even know what to do. So I kept getting it, like, high in front of me, but it wasn't locked out. I just didn't know what to do. So, yeah, I just didn't get it. Then, um, what do we have? The Remember they used to do duck walk a lot? It's it's in there sometimes. You don't see it so much. This anymore. was like ten years ago. You still see it. Something you see it a lot in carry medleys. There's no suave or athletic way to, to complete a duck walk. <laughs> yeah. You just look like a fucking clown. This big, huge pendulum swinging in between <laughs> your legs. And they usually, especially for the heavier weight classes, they have to load it with forty fives. Yeah. So unless you're like six five or bigger, that that big wide apparatus is in between your legs. It's the most foolish looking thing you've ever seen ever. Yeah. So I'm new duck walk. Obviously, I have no clue in the technique of it. And every step I go, it feels like my hamstring is just like going higher and higher into my ass. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the? Fuck? This thing's gonna let go. One more step. Of it, and it was part of um a loading medley. I think it was like a duck walk. Then you had to carry like a um a keg. I think to load a barrel sort of thing and then pull it i didn't finish it and i tweaked my hamstring um i just ran out of time i was still like trying to move forward but i ran out of time um so then i didn't even make it to the atlas stone which i'm sure i would have just torn my biceps on or something anyway so it's probably a good thing and then i forget what there's one more event in there there's usually five in most shows. Yeah, I forget what the other event was, but obviously I didn't make it to that, so it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was before you started powerlifting, so that was like mid twenty. Yeah, that was 2012. No, it was January 2013. So the first powerlifting meet was July 2013. Nice. But I always was like, I always wanted to get back in the strongman. I ended up going to a strongman gym for a while. If you remember, um, you know Global Strongman Gym in New York? I've only I've only heard of it. I've never I've never been there. Well, Hans, the guy who runs it, used to have a location in Manhattan. So I was going there for a while. It was cool. I was doing some stuff with him, but I mostly had started training for powerlifting. But he would show me stuff when I was in there randomly. He'd be like, "Oh, like try Atlas Stone. Like try this. I would do it." But um, again, once I signed up for that powerlifting meet and did it, I was like locked in, and then it just became this thing where I just kept, it was like more no, higher numbers, higher numbers, higher, started tracing world records. And it was like, Oh, next world record, next world. But before you know it, it's, it's nine years later. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, I never did the strong man. And then my boy, Jeff, you know, Jeff Lee, chunky cheese. Yeah. Instagram? I know Jeff. Well, yeah. I'm like best friends with him. So we're always, you guys all trained at uh, Mount Vernon for a while. Yeah. yeah that's my boy. I know him from Carl 